Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What we need is more common sense. We've got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro-common sense. For Houston, from Houston. Where you talking about common sense? This is the Jimmy Barrett Show. Brought to you by Viewin.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. Oh, I feel like this is like a red-letter day here. This is This is like a celebration day for me. Uh, first of all, welcome to the show. Uh, I wish it were under better circumstances. Yes, we will talk a little bit about Uvalde on the show today, especially with what's been going on today. We don't like to tell you if, if you missed it a few hours ago what happened to Governor Abbott's press conference in Uvalde. I'll get to that in a second. But today's the day where we finally get back into the home studio. Um, there's been a lot of growing pains with the KPRC move to a new building. And one of the first things that got lost was the ability for me in my home studio to connect with the radio station. Um, so we had a week where we're doing best ofs, and then we had a, another week where I'm coming in and and uh, after my morning show on KTRH, and we're recording it at the old building and shipping it over to the new building. Well, today's the day where finally everything's all hooked up again, and I'm here in my nice little comfy home studio in Spring, Texas, and everything's working the way it's supposed to, at least so far. Fingers crossed. All right, let's get into Uvalde a little bit. Because what happened, um, as, as more information comes out, and, and you know how these things work, they come out in dribbles. Uh, yesterday, all we knew, at the time I think it was 14 children had been killed. There were others wounded. Um, there was a teacher that had been killed. And that's about all we knew about what had happened. Well, now here we are today. And we have a death toll, at least so far, of 19 children, two teachers, and 17 others who were injured or wounded. That is pretty remarkable. That's a pretty sizable event. Perpetrated by one 18-year-old male, whose name I don't use. Sherry used his name this morning. That's fine. Absolutely her right to do so. Uh, The media certainly, it's no secret about who he is. His his name is everywhere. Um, I, I don't use the names because I don't like adding to any attention these people get for what the, the crimes that they do. It's, it's just a personal policy that I've always had. And if you want to know his name, you can easily look it up. You don't need me to tell you his name. Uh, all we know, he's 18 years old. Now, I will say this, and I think it's fairly important to say he's Hispanic. And it's only important to say he's Hispanic because the, the, the drivel on the mainstream media yesterday was all from the standpoint of, of you know, white supremacy trying to link this whole thing to what happened in Buffalo, New York. The two have nothing to do with each other, nor do they have anything to do with white supremacy. That is not what triggered this kid. I don't know what triggered this kid. We'll find out, though. It, it, it sounds, it sounds pretty, pretty obvious to me, anyway, that this is some sort of a domestic dispute, a dispute that, that went wrong. Uh, that um, he had said, evidently he posted on Facebook, 
30 minutes before he actually did it that he was going to his grandma's house to shoot grandma. He put this on social media. And then he went over there and he shot grandma. And he went back on social media to tell the world that he shot grandma. And then he went to the school where his mother evidently is a teacher. And he shot up a classroom. Evidently, the other thing we learned is is I had thought, in, in allow me to correct myself on this, I thought yesterday that what they were saying, and you know, shame on me for you know, reporting information that turns out to not be true, but um, I, I had speculated that he had gone right in through the front door because his mother was a teacher there, therefore he would have no problem getting past security. Evidently, he went through a back door. Now, is this an un- unlocked back door? Did he force his way in the door? That part I don't know. Uh, he knew exactly where it was he was going. He was going to a, um, uh, two adjoining classrooms that evidently are connected to each other. That's where all the victims were shot. In, in those adjoining classrooms. That's where all the victims were shot. We also found out that he was taken out by Border Patrol, by a special division of Border Patrol, sniper from Border Patrol, is who actually killed this kid. That's what we know about what happened. Why it happened, don't know. You know, I could speculate. I can guess. His birthday evidently was last week. He turned 18. My guess is is that he probably has a history of being a problem child. Uh, evidently was estranged from his mother. Uh, don't know what his relationship was with grandma. I don't know who he was living with. It, either one of them, I don't know. Um, but it, it, it seems like this is one of those things where, for example, let's say he was, maybe he was living with grandma and grandma said, you're 18 now time to go because maybe he scared her a little bit. That could be, there could be a revenge factor here. Time will tell time will tell. We shall see. All we know at this point is that we're dealing with somebody obviously with mental illness issues. That is painfully obvious. Now let's get to the part which was incredulous today um, at Governor Greg Abbott's, and, and here's the shame of it, at Governor Greg Abbott's press conference, he's having a press conference in Uvalde, and they're talking about mental health, and the governor's talking about how he's, he's talked to all these law enforcement officials who are there uh, and, and posed the question, what's the problem here? You know, expecting he was going to hear back a whole variety of different things. The, the thing he said he overwhelmingly heard was mental health, mental health problems, and not enough mental health care in the Uvalde area. Too many mental health problems and not enough mental health care. At the conclusion of Governor Abbott's remarks, guess, who, guess who's come storming down to the front near the podium to start pointing his finger and confronting? His Democrat opponent for governor, Beto O'Rourke, the guy who wants to take all your guns away. Yep. And he's doing this pointing thing about it's on you. That, that's only part of what he was saying that I could make out. He's pointing at, he's gesturing at the governor. He's saying, it's on you. It's on you. They had to escort him out. But, you know, the dutiful ma- media, more than happy to go out there with their microphones. This is great. This is, wow, this is good. And get all that coverage going. Yeah, Beto's going to get a lot of coverage, a lot of free coverage out of this one. Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Barrett here on AM 950 KPRC.
All right, so again, big, big confrontation, right? Beto O'Rourke, is, he's looking for publicity. He's, he's been quiet about guns, but he sees an opportunity. He sees an opportunity, right? And he's going to try to grab that opportunity. The, the Democrats have no problem. They don't, they don't care about letting people grieve in private. They don't, they don't care about anything other than the gun control aspect of all this. The reality is that these politicians who themselves have no particular religious beliefs, who believe, who, 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 who uh, worship their party versus worshiping God, basically, you know, they've substituted party politics for religion. That is their religion. So they're more than happy to try to take advantage of this. They, they, don't, they do not care. If this is an opportunity to institute gun control, they're going to try to seize the opportunity. And that's what Beto was doing. He, he, all Beto did was seize this as an, this is an opportunity. I'm getting beat. I, I need publicity. Here's an opportunity for me to get publicity. I can assure you that's the only thing he cared about. And again, you know, mainstream media coverage is going to help him out on this one because it's just so juicy to, to watch this candidate confront the governor. And what a place to do it. You're in the town where the shooting happened. Right? You haven't been invited to speak. The governor's there for a press conference. And you're trying to take advantage. Well, like I said, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Uh, by the way, the person who confronted back and started calling Beto names was Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Governor Abbott kept his cool. Um, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, not so much. He started to lose his cool a little bit. But he was highly emotional when he was on with Tucker Carlson last night. Uh, last night, he talked about the shooting, and he, he, he brought up a, some of the things I've been talking to you about here today, which is sort of the, the lack of a moral compass that we seem to have. You know, one of, one of the casualties of us becoming a far less religious people is that we really don't seem to live by a golden rule anymore. We don't really seem to have a moral compass. He talked a little bit about that with Tucker Carlson. Take a listen. Since I was elected... Uh, back with Greg Abbott uh, back in 2014. This is now the fourth major mass shooting that we've had. We had Sutherland Springs, the church. We had the Walmart in uh, El Paso, Odessa. And then four years ago, four years ago and one week, we had the shooting at Santa Fe where we lost eight students and two teachers. And I will tell you, Tucker, that I've been to a lot of funerals and a lot of services, and a lot of hospitals. Nothing compares to what Bill just said about the loss of a child. And I think yes. when crimes like this happen, this is pure evil, that it impacts a whole nation. Every parent, every grandparent that has a child envisions what, what they would feel if it had happened to them. This is something that goes to the core of our soul, all of us. And, and, and I hope the president tries to unify and not divide us on this because we as a nation will always remember this. These children at this school, as adults, 
one day. We'll never forget it. These teachers, this community of 16,000, the school system only had 4,000 students in the entire system, Tucker. So these are crimes that get to the very core of who we are as people. I think as people, we have to look internally and, and how did we get here? This was an evil act. We, there's a lot that we're going to learn and it's going to unfold in the days and weeks ahead about this shooter. But tonight, we got to unify in prayer. We have to unify in faith. We have to unify in who are we? Where, where Tucker, when I grew up and most of the people watching grew up and you, we didn't have these situations. We didn't have mass shooters in our schools. We didn't have this evil. And so we really have to look at us as a people, as a country, um, because we can do a lot of things. And Texas has done a lot of things after the Santa Fe shooting. Uh, obviously, we have to do more. We have to harden these targets so no one can get in ever except through one entrance. Maybe that would, would help. Maybe that would stop someone. But it's really bigger than that, Tucker. It's, we're a core society. We're a, we're a society that's just at each other's throats all the time. And, and, and we're, better than, we're better than this as a nation. Are we? Are we better than this? Used to think we were. I mean, Lieutenant Governor brings up some really good points. Who are we anymore? Who are we as a people? What do we believe in? What are our values? What are we teaching our children? Is there any sort of moral compass left? Certainly feels like we're sorely lacking in that department. Here's the other thing that th these, these people all have in common, these shooters. First priority to post to social media what it is you're going to do. I mean, as they go through this guy's account, you know, he's got pictures of weapons and, and all kinds of things on his website. And then he posts that he's going to go kill grandma. Gotta let the world know I'm gonna go kill grandma. That's why I don't that's why I don't share these people these people's names. It it strikes me as the most ultimate narcissistic act to feel like you have the power and the ability and worse yet the desire to take another human being's life. Like somehow you have a right to do that. You've been wronged. You've been wronged, and that person shall pay the price with their life. And I'm going to tell the whole world that I'm going to do it. And you can't stop me. That feels like the world we're living in right now. Are, are these few bad apples? Yeah, I think they are a few bad apples. But what has changed is how, is how they act out. Is it a mental health problem? I guess it is. But here's my question. Why, why do we have so many more mental health problems now than we used to have? But anyway, back, back to the politicians. So last night, the President of the United States uh, comes out to give an address, right? And he starts off with, like, the Grandpa Joe thing. And he starts off sounding really sincere. And then uh, uh, it's like a, a switch gets flipped. It's like somebody's in his earpiece going, okay, go get him. And he, he flips from, you know, prayerful thought and and worried about the families and about the victims, he, he, he switches to gun control in a nanosecond. Take a listen to the switch. It's really quite amazing. In the darkness they feel right now. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? It's been 300 Forty, three thousand four hundred forty-eight days 
10 years since I stood up at a high school, Connecticut, a grade school in Connecticut, where another gunman ma massacred 26 people, including 20 first graders at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Since then, there have been over 900 incidents of gunfires reported on school grounds. We have to act. And don't tell me we can't have an impact on this carnage. I spent my career as a senator and a vice president working to pass common sense gun laws. We can and won't prevent every tragedy, but we know they work. The idea that an 18-year-old kid can walk into a gun store and buy two assault weapons is just wrong. I'm not even going to debate it. I'm not going to go down the same road I always go down. Guns have become abortion to me. If you don't believe in the Second Amendment, if you don't believe in the right to keep and bear arms, you don't. And I'm not going to convince you you should. And vice versa. The, the, the arguments are already entrenched. The decisions have already been made. There's no need to discuss it any further. At this point, we just have to fight it out. We, we just have to fight it out for what we believe in. And I believe in getting our kids back on some sort of a moral compass. I, I believe in getting to the bottom of why we have so many more mental health issues than ever before. And I think if, if uh, the Beto O'Rourke's of the world want to point fingers, then maybe you should point fingers. Let's point some figures at, at the people who locked down all of our schools. You think that might have had an impact on some of these kids? You think in some of these we have more confused kids now as a result of some of the things that we've done during the, the the whole COVID pandemic to lock them down, leave them alone at home. Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Barrett Show, AM nine fifty KPRC. Right, you don't need me to tell you how expensive gasoline is. You know how expensive gasoline is. How much did I spend filling up? I spent. Uh, Let's see, I got it at Kroger, and I had I got it off a dollar a gallon because I've spent overspent on groceries here lately. So I got a dollar off a gallon. It still cost me sixty bucks to fill up a 21, 21 gallon tank. So at a dollar off, I think I got it for like three dollars and sixteen cents a gallon. And I never thought I would say, "Wow, that's that sounds good." Three sixteen a gallon compared to the normal price. But I'm driving on the way home uh, from work this morning on the Hardy. And there's a Walmart um, right off the Hardy as you get up near Luetta Road, and I'm and I'm in a, out of the corner of my eye because they, they have the price of uh, of um, regular uh, premium and diesel on an electronic sign up on the side of the building that you could see from the from the Hardy. You can't see the the front of the building, but you can see the the sign. And it was four eighty eight a gallon for diesel. I thought, I bet I bet if if uh, our next guest. Jim Grundy could buy diesel at four eighty dollars a gallon right now. He'd buy as much as he could. What are you paying for, for a gallon of diesel right now where you are? We average about six twenty five a gallon right now. Wow. Six twenty five a gallon? Yeah, yeah, it's the highest it's ever been and uh in the in the areas in the markets where trucking's the heaviest, which you know, we specialize in uh, oil and gas operations and we support those those services, uh um uh, oil and Gasoline and uh, all the derivatives around that are skyrocketing. You can go, you can go up to Washington in certain parts of the state of Washington right now is over seven, eight dollars. Amazing. I, I I I assume you probably even know this 
pretty close off the top of your head. Um, how many gallons in, in your in your business, about how many gallons do you go through, let's say, in the average week or the average month? And, and how have your cost of doing business changed in the last six months? Well, I, I'll give you uh, cash numbers. So right now we spend about a quarter million dollars a week um, in fuel for diesel alone. Uh, six months ago, we were doing 160, 150. So we're spending upwards almost about a hundred grand more a week. Wow. And what has that done to either your profit margin or the, just the general cost of people doing business with you? Well, uh, it's interesting. So on, on the short term, you know, like on the immediate rises, like right now, the second diesel's rising today, uh, but all of our prices were booked and fixed yesterday for today's consumption. The problem is the retail market or the gas pumps, they move up faster than what we can set prices at. So uh, diesel is rising today in the second right now. Uh, we pay for the short term, but um, once we have the ability to today, we're setting prices for tomorrow with our customer base, uh, essentially the end users pay for it. Uh, uh, in the long run, it, they're going to make up uh, – truckers can't afford this. The margins in trucking are already razor thin. So that's why you're seeing the cost of clothing and food and, and any other product out there. They're, they're skyrocketing because uh, it's the consumers that wind up paying for it. Well, and I think you know it's pretty safe to say that virtually everything we use, um, everything we consume, everything we buy, at some point in time in the process, it's been trucked, right? It's been trucked, and it's also more than likely backed by oil and gas. So you have really two two major uh, uh, supply chain is one, and then oil and gas in, in the energy sector. That the amount of products that derive from oil and gas, you really have a shortage of that globally right now from a production versus consumption standpoint. Uh, the supply chain problem isn't unique to the U.S. It's global. It's a, it's kind of a weird phenomenon. Um, you know, last month, our top driver made $89,000 in one month, right? Uh, our, tw- our top 20% averaged uh, fifty-five to 60000 in one month. That kind of money is out there to be made. It's just uh, I think the response to the pandemic was so severe. Drivers lost their trucks, their will. A lot of them retired. Um, we, you know, we're not doing a good enough job replenishing the trucker market and uh, – essentially everyone started shopping from home with home deliveries. That's put some pressure on additional uh, supply chain infrastructures that will, it's going to take a long time for us to catch up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But you know, even if you're ordering online, guess what? It's getting delivered by a truck. <laughs> so a truck Absolutely. is invo- a truck is involved in every step of the process here. I, I've heard stories, Jim Grundy, that there is a shortage or soon will be a shortage of diesel fuel. Is that true? Yes, in the Northeast, they've already had shortages. They run out uh, in certain parts. Uh, in the Northwest, they're, they're prepping as is um, for there to be shortages. And a lot of areas uh, that I just mentioned are also planning for $10 a gallon for diesel. So when you have that fear out there, and what we've been saying is there, there's nothing that's going to stop the rise of gasoline or diesel prices in the near future, nothing. There's nothing they can do unless they open up U.S. drilling and we become energy independent. 
uh, and we see what maximum output the U.S. can do. But right now, uh, we politicized and weaponized energy consumption and oil, and uh, unfortunately, it's it's uh, to the detriment of the American people, and uh, it's costing folks jobs. When in fact, we this is an opportunity right now for uh, the U.S. to step up and answer the bell, and we're just not doing that because we're not allowed to. But uh, ten dollars is on the way. Everyone needs to you know brace for impact. It's coming. There's it, because. It's, there's just not a there's not enough going on worldwide, and there's too many disruptions. Russia, Ukraine, uh, the recovery still hasn't been realized yet from the pandemic. But uh, as as more and more of these things are realized, we're going to realize uh, you know how short we are, both trucks and energy. Okay, well, I'm hearing you know the other stories you, that you're hearing, uh, or it, it is that at some point in time there's going to be rationing. Um, and that already we're seeing it at, at, at a number of gas stations where you can only buy a certain amount of gasoline. You, like if, if, like the pump will stop when you hit fifty bucks, <laughs> and that's it. Sure. It won't it won't give you any more. Um, do you think we're headed down that road as well, where where it, it's it's going to be in such short supply that you aren't going to be able to buy potentially enough gas just to get back and forth to work? Well, I do think that's a possibility, but. Also, what's happening right now is the amount of theft for gasoline that's going on uh, nationwide. Uh, gasoline and diesel, you know, just the last month we've had 50 grand in fraud purchases. Um, and we have a very secure electronic platform, and that's been hacked. And there's people out there that are stealing gallons. And so a lot of these companies, what they're doing is that they're limiting their exposure by uh, – limiting the amount you can actually put in whatever vehicle you're trying to fill up and it's going to impact it's going to be different it's going to be frustrating um and and the reality is refineries around the world we're not building new ones they can only do so much um post pandemic they're they're all not back online operating as is and there's going to be rations there's going to be shortages not just of diesel and gasoline but of all the products that are made from those things all right, Jim. Well, listen, best of luck with the business. Appreciate you joining me here today, and and uh, we may talk again the closer we get to that eventual shortage just to see where we're at with all this. But thanks for the update. I sure do appreciate it. Hey, you guys be safe. You too. Jim Grundy joining us here on AM950 KPRC. Quick little break. We'll wrap it up for Thursday coming up next here on AM950. AM there we go. AM950 KPRC. talking about the possibility of the man that's a double whammy for 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 farmers you know if you have a diesel fuel shortage and a fertilizer shortage there's just it feels like we just keep digging ourselves a bigger hole right maybe we should stop digging <laughs> we're gonna dig our way to the center of the earth at this at this rate um yeah but it, you know as i mentioned to jim grundy it, you you have a president who basically, you know, said that, uh, you know, we're on our way. Um, this is all by design. You know, on the morning show tomorrow on KTRH, by the way, we got a feature about um, the strategic oil reserve. We've been using up the strategic oil reserve, and we've also been we have a a strategic oil reserve for for um, for oil and for diesel, and evidently we're tapping into the diesel now. So, what's the point or purpose? 
of using up the strategic oil reserve when it really isn't having any sort of an impact on prices? Uh, is there is there something at work here? Is there is there a reason? Because the you know despite what we think about incompetence, there's a reason why they do the things they do. Why? What is the purpose of draining down the strategic oil reserve? So we'll get into that tomorrow morning. But Kayleigh McEnany, who of course was uh, the final press secretary for President Trump, uh, on Fox yesterday had this to say about the Biden energy plan. They do have a strategy. That strategy. Making sure you can't afford gas, so you can't afford your car, you can't afford your vehicle, and you have to buy a clean energy source. Mm -hmm. Emily, as we speak right now, President Biden is on his way back from Asia. I just read as we came to air that they made a stop. They stopped at Elmendorf Air Base, that's in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Well, why did they stop? They stopped to refuel. Let me tell you this, President Biden does not pay that bill for the Air Force One fuel. I imagine it's astronomical. It's certainly double what it was during the Trump years. If he had to pay that bill, I imagine he wouldn't be lauding this as an incredible transition. If he had to pay the bill for the beast, which he rides in, I imagine he wouldn't be lauding this as an incredible transition. The real truth is they look at you as if you are in a green energy ghoul experiment where we all are just little pawns that they can move mm. around. Don't just listen to Biden. His interior secretary, Deb Halen, was asked before Congress, are energy prices too high? And she refused to say yes. Brian Deese, the economic advisor, was asked, what's your plan? He didn't have one. But guess who was honest with us? Secretary Jennifer Granholm, when she was asked, what should we do about clean energy? Her direct quote was this, accelerate the move to clean energy because it will make us independent. That is the grand design. How is it going to make us independent? We cannot create enough clean energy to take care of our needs. How does that make us independent? How does that make us independent? Locking up our own oil resources, our own fossil fuel resources, and go begging to countries that hate us? How does, how does that work? It's all ridiculous, but it is what it is, and it is what, theoretically, America voted for with the last election. By the way, election returns, did you see the Chronicle, what the Chronicle said about Harris County? Yeah, things went smoothly. Really? Last I heard, they still hadn't certified the election. Everybody else has. <laughs> how smooth? How smooth is that? But no, no big surprise. I think the biggest surprise was actually on a, a statewide basis in that Ken Paxton won like over 70% of the vote. George P. Bush uh, had less than 30%. I think that might be the end of the Bush dynasty right there. That might be it. I think Texas maybe has had enough of the Bush dynasty. And speaking of the Bushes, George W. Bush, evidently the FBI has intercepted an assassination attempt. So there's a individual who is upset with what George W. Bush did to Iraq and wanted to extract some revenge. What was his plan? His plan was to sneak a couple of uh, assassins across the border with Mexico, which probably wouldn't have been very hard to do, and then you know, find George W. Bush in Dallas and shoot him there. Here is the report on the plot from WFAA in Dallas. An assassination plot with President George W. Bush in the crosshairs sniffed out by the FBI Tuesday. The bureau saying the mastermind behind it all now in custody. An Iraqi native named Shahab Ahmad Shihab Shihab. This is a direct result of good investigative work by the bureau. 
The 52-year-old arrested by the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force Tuesday morning, later appearing in an Ohio federal court. Shihab was communicating with two FBI confidential informants, according to his arrest documents, hoping to smuggle members of ISIS into the U.S. to murder Bush, saying he felt Bush was responsible for killing many Iraqis and breaking apart the entire country of Iraq. Shihab was willing to make fake passports and get the individuals to the U.S.-Mexico border per his arrest documents. You know, we cannot let our guard down. Dr. Alex Del Carmen works with the FBI as an instructor. He says Shihab's arrest shows one thing. Terrorist plots at home and abroad haven't taken a vacation. This person not only had plans to execute, uh, you know, um, you know, in terms of a terrorist attack against the former president, but also that he had the means to do it. Shihab even visited Bush's neighborhood in February per federal documents, taking cell phone videos of the area and at the George W. Bush Institute. Yeah. Except this guy went too far. Why why is he worried about making fake passports? You just you just have your people fly to Mexico and then go to the border. And they can cross over with everybody else. And they will be welcomed into the country and dispersed. Now they may end up not they may not end up in Dallas. They may end up somewhere else and then have to come back to Dallas. But getting into the country is not a problem. You know, this story is, is it's not getting a lot of play. And the reason why it's not getting a lot of play is because they don't really want to highlight the fact that, you know, this is exactly one of the things that people were fearful of. But with not checking people coming through the border. We don't know who's coming in here. Heck, we've got three quarters of a million gotaways at this point, and we don't even know who they are or where they are. And then the rest of them, most of the rest of them, we're just dispersing around the country. They don't need to make a passport to get them in. Come on in. All right, have yourself a good evening. See you tomorrow morning, bright and early 5 a.m. with Cher on KTRH. And we're back here at 4 on AM 950 KPRC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.